out in the desert. Neighbors claims they practice witchcraft. Welcome back to your favorite lockdown quarantine easy listening podcast. The end of the world brought right to you. I'm going to tell you what, sis. Proof of chaos magic actually being real and effective in life. We need time to work on the podcast. Get out this steady, strong, healthy stream of Powerful content stream. Yes. for you. And um, here we have it, folks. Here we have it on Wednesday, on time, on brand. There you go. Look, we tr- I could have used this fucking quarantine about like two months ago when we couldn't get our shit together. I mean, we've been we didn't got regular, and now the world's like have some more time. Not to just totally make light of the fucking global pandemic, but sometimes you have to do something to keep the existential crisis at bay, folks. That is true, and you know we make jokes. Some people listen to us. Um, it is what it is. <laughs> Some people. N- you know, and neither are very effective. Um, <laughs> I just want to say, we do hope you're well. We're, yeah. we're making a little bit of light, but that's just because we can't just be over here in our homes panicking. Yeah, people. I mean. We got to just bring a little bit of what? Levity. Levity. Sometimes if you just stare into the void too long, it consumes you. And, you know, you got to just break from that for yeah. a moment. Yeah. You know, even if it's just an hour and. 13 minutes out of your day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I wholeheartedly agree. Hey, one good thing about this week, just to start off on a positive note, somebody made a fucking makeup look based on our show on uh, Instagram. Fuck yeah. That was really cool. I feel completely validated. I'm fucking... I'm, I didn't know that I wanted somebody to make a makeup look based on the show, but now I fucking... I, I've realized that that's what I've been waiting for my entire life. I kind of did. I kind of did. You, you knew you wanted that. I knew I wanted it. Bitch, I've been waiting. I'm gonna tell it. you what. I would get that like look tattooed on my fucking face, like for the next live show. Like I swear. That's Do we? The... I know I saved it on my phone like a weirdo. Yeah. Oh shit. We put it on our story. Yeah, look at we that. did. Because you told me you said Kenny put that. this on our story. I did. What's her? Um. What's her? Mars Gravity. Oh. Oh hey, I wonder if that. Oh, it might be. Well, huh. I wonder if that is our next invocation. It might be. It might not, but it might Maybe. also be. <laughs> I, I think that's too much of an in, of a uh, coincidence? coincidence. Yeah. I don't know. Write us, Mars Gravity. Let's fucking know. I hope you still listen. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't. She just made a. She just made a fucking look based on the show. She I'm fine like, with that too. I, I, I fucking am obsessed with this look. Anyway, um, if you want to check her out, it's uh, at Mars underscore Gravity. Mars like the planet. Underscore Gravity. Like what keep you keeps you on uh, Mars like gravity. Mars Earth. like the planet, not like the candy bar. Yeah, well, actually both. Both <laughs> of them are spelled the fucking same. <laughs> I could go for a Mars bar right now. True, honestly. The thing is, I don't eat Mars bars outside the UK, though. Oh. Because they're always better in the UK. Really? Yeah. What else is better in the UK? It's a lot of things. A lot of things that we could that we could talk about. I'm sure our UK friends will we tell could, us. We could also not. Yeah, let us know what's better in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Do so. Do you have any ideas? As I mentioned, we have an invocation, and and you know what? I feel like I feel like we need it. We do. We need a little bit of light. We need a little bit of love. We need a little bit of light. We need some healing. Uh, and so this goes out to Mars L, who has joined our Stay Spooky Squad. All right, so your candle is lit. It's sitting between us, uh, lighting the way. Oh, okay. In this very dark time. In this very dark time. Now, remember, it will burn beside us throughout the episode, but forever and always in our dark hearts. Hell yeah. So, yes. Now, if you want your own invocation, 
you can head on over to Patreon and check that out too. Yeah, we got lots check of cool it out. Shit on there. Join us. Join us. We are uh, uh, with this uh, whole quarantine shit. I'm actually getting episodes edited and put up early for those Patreon <laughs> yeah. folks. So you're getting, you know, some early access. So yeah. hop on it, man. There's early episode, early access to episodes. There's bonus content. There's access to our Discord, uh, where you can like chat with us and voice chat with us in real time, which is always exciting to do. Mm-hmm. Um, hit them DMs, girl. Girl. Um, but yeah, yeah. Thanks, Mars. We appreciate it. Yeah. We appreciate it. So, Katie is going to talk to us this week, I imagine, because I have not researched anything. So, I <laughs> hope. What if I, what if I didn't have anything? I was like, <laughs> you don't have it ready? <laughs> I guess we would just fucking. Uh, you don't have it? I guess we would just fucking shit talk, man. I mean, <laughs> I some guess. people love it. We know Danielle loves it. So, I mean, that's, that's fine. True. That's true. I mean, Danielle's sure all in the family, though. She's a murder mod squad. She has to fucking say that, or yeah. else we will come to That's true. Her or else home, we will, regardless uh, of quarantine, <laughs> and we will be quarantined with her, and we'll eat all her snacks. How about that? That? Is, that is true. Yeah, that is true. So, how about that? Uh, no, I did. I did do a little bit of research. Just a little. <laughs> just bit. a little bit. Just a little. Just bit. a little bit while we're working from home. Just, just a little, a little bit. bit. Um. Yeah, I did. So I'm going to tell you guys a story. Uh. I'm going to do a case this week. Oh, we love a case. We do. We do love a case. I caught one last week. (laughs) 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 Mercy. Did y'all hear about all the people who are testing positive for STIs, though, by the way? Like, there's a lot of people who are going into the doctor and it's like, girl, you negative for coronavirus, but you are positive for chlamydia, sis. Here's some pills. (laughs) Get that cleared up for you. Fuck. I know, right? We've only been in quarantine for like four days. It's making, Y'all already heard, got STIs? Damn. I've Me heard, just over here yeah. researching true crime. I'm not living right. I've heard this quarantine is making a lot of people frisky. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you don't have it, you know there's already coronavirus porn, yeah? You know this. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, there is. No, but I did hear about, uh, what is it, Italian Pornhub or that was like yeah. opening up their... Uh, yep their uh what do you call it? their paid service for mm-hmm. free and i'm like mm-hmm. i wonder how how different it really is you know what i mean how different is premium pornhub um look if you have premium pornhub shoot me an email at the at gmail.com and let me know how different it actually is because i'm yeah. curious make sure you address that only to her <laughs> just to me it's fine <laughs> i won't share your name i promise um, we'll just shout you out on the podcast. That's fine. <laughs> I, won't, I won't share your name on that one. Unless you tell me specifically, too, and you don't give a fuck. In which case, I respect you. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm drinking gin and tonic because it's the apocalypse. Wow, thanks for offering so, me some, bitch. Get over it. Uh, <laughs> I'll make you one after this. If you make it through this case, yeah? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a deal. Okay. All right. So this week, we are going to talk about... We're actually going to the UK, which oh, interestingly okay. I didn't plan. <laughs> um, but UK's we're... like, you're coming back over here? God. UK's like, no, no, thank can you, you. Can you go somewhere else? Can you talk no, about, you. can you <laughs> do something like, else, please? No, I don't know what, I don't know what the deal is with me in UK cases lately, but I'm just like, I don't know. I'm just on it. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? It's a trend. Um, we're talking about the disappearance of Helen Bailey. Ooh, okay. All right. So we've got a disappearance case we on do. our hands. We do. Interesting. So Helen Bailey was born in August 1964 in Pontland, England. P-O-N-T-E-L-A-N-D. I don't know if it's Pontland or Pontland. I'm pretty I don't sure think it's, it's Pontland. more than likely not Pontland. Pontland. It's, it's one of those Shire Shire situations. Pontland. I'm trying to fucking maybe. I don't know. You have Irish roots. We'll go with that. (laughs) So Helen was born in August 1964 in a province of England. And she dreamed of becoming a forensic scientist. And she actually earned a degree in physiology at Thames Polytechnic in London. That's cool. Yeah. So uh, she she wanted to be a forensic scientist. And she actually started postgraduate research at a teaching hospital in London but later changed careers to work in marketing and PR. So she was one of those rare people who it sounds like had like the science side of things where she could be really good at the like science and math that's involved in forensic science, mm-hmm. but also the creative side of things where, 
you know, you're dealing with things like marketing and PR and writing. And she was she was really good at both, which is very rare to find in a person. Um, it also talks it also speaks to like a know how of how people work, because if you think like if you're thinking forensics, right, like, yes, there's science, but I'm sure there's like you have to have some like behavioral like knowledge there about people as well. It depends, sure. on what, it depends on the branch. On yeah. the branch in yeah. the case. But then also, so with marketing, you get the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. Maybe. Who knows? I'm not <laughs> I'm in forensics or in marketing, so <laughs> I don't fucking know. You know what I'm in? I'm in podcasting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Neither of which are in relevant podcast. to podcasting. <laughs> Forensic science might be a little relevant. Maybe I mean, I'll get a degree maybe in that. Maybe more for you, but. Maybe I'll go back to school. God, please don't. <laughs> That's, No. That's about as triggering as the fucking number stations. <laughs> so interestingly, um, you might actually recognize some of the marketing campaigns that Helen worked on. They were incredibly successful and included characters such as Rugrats, Fuck Garfield, yeah. Fuck yeah. The Simpsons. Fuck yeah. And she worked on contracts for companies like Nintendo. Ah, shit. Okay. We, who the, we know who they is. We know who. We know who that is. Yes, I know. I played a Nintendo once. Mm-hmm. One time. <laughs> So in 1996, Helen met and later married John Senfield, the head of a licensing rights company. Around that same time, they moved from Clerkenwell to Highgate, which I'm sure means something to the English listeners of the show, but means absolutely nothing to me. Really? Clerkenwell? I don't know where Clerkenwell is, and I don't know where Highgate is, girl. Clerkenwell and Highgate. I'm just imagining like a like a field with rolling hills and greens. That reminds me of work today. Someone... Uh, uh, Someone that I was working with, they went to uh, a place called the Citadel for their education. Oh, that's cool. Is that in South Carolina? I have no clue, but there's, it was there's like, one in South Carolina. It was full of like UVA. Like I was going through my candidates, and it was like UVA, and then like Cornell, and yada da da. da and then it was the Citadel, and I'm, I'm like, what kind of Illuminati? I'm pretty sure shit that's in South this? Carolina. Potentially, could be wrong. Don't know. Don't know. Don't care. Continue. So in the late 2000s. Our girl Helen decided to take her lifelong love of writing public as she began writing the Crazy World of Electra Brown book series. Now, this book series apparently is like a big deal in the UK, um, particularly in England. I think it was aimed at like teenage girls and apparently it's famous. I was able to find it on Amazon um, even now and it's basically kind of aimed at preteen girls or early teen years girls. Uh, and it's just about like this preteen girl who's kind of like finding her way, right? And Can you say preteen one more time? Preteen. <laughs> apparently, um, I could say post-adolescent if that makes you happier. <laughs> um, apparently Helen had really, you know, with the whole, we talked about how she was science-minded and she was also creatively-minded she had been, even though she worked in marketing and PR, she had been writing creatively for basically her entire life. Um, they talked about how she, when she um, was a, a child in school, she wasn't really that social and she didn't really have that many friends, but she would sit, she was a people watcher. So mm. she would, and all the best authors are people mm. watchers because she would kind of sit and just observe people at school. And then she would go home and she would write in a journal um, about like who was doing what and like who was interacting with who and like all these, like she would kind of make up stories. And I think that's where later in life, she kind of came back to that with the crazy world of Electra Brown and kind of pulled that some of that content in did she have a glass box because it sounds like joe <laughs> no no she's not joe just she saying. was not creepy about it just she saying. was just you know i think all of us can kind of relate to being a preteen girl who's kind of awkward can't uh, you relate to that can girl? i relate to being a preteen girl who's kind of awkward <laughs> most definitely a thousand percent um no but i totally get it people watching's the best yeah. I'm actually probably more of a creeper about it. Yeah. I'm I'm probably more on Joe's level than anybody. There you go. <laughs> and you found yourself there. You found yourself in the joke you made. Yeah. It happens a lot. Um, so The Crazy World of Electra Brown featured novels such as Life at the Shallow End, Out of My Depth, Swimming Against the Tide, Taking the Plunge, and Falling Hook, Line, and Sinker. Shit, sounds like our podcast, man. <laughs> yeah, right? There's a reason that I included all of those um, all of those novel titles in there. Um, 
So for this series, Helen was nominated for a Queen of Teen Award in 2010. I'm sorry. Queen of Teen? Yes, which I can only hope, like, the trophy for which looked like a lipstick and, like, a a mirror shaped like a heart and, like, a cell phone. Like, the old school flip phone one with the antenna. Oh, with the antenna. That's what I want it to look like. Yeah, that, like, when you got angry, like, and you would try to push it down, you would almost, like, bend. Like, it would bend or almost break. Yeah. Totally, a thousand percent. Mm -hmm. I want it to be a plastic tiara. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want there to be a huge lipstick. Yes. Like somewhere in this frame, like the picture, there was a huge plastic like tube of lipstick. Got to. Got to. Hot pink. Got to. Yes. Uh, So, yeah, she was nominated for the Queen of Teen Award in 2010. And although that series is the one for which Helen was best known, it wasn't her only series, actually. All in all, she wrote about 22 books of short stories, picture books, and young adult fiction. Okay. Work. Mm Mm-hmm. So life was going great for Helen until February of 2011 when her husband, John Sinfield, drowned while swimming on a holiday the couple had taken together in Barbados. Barbados was actually the same place where they had been married 15 years earlier. Apparently, Helen was walking on the beach and John decided to get into the ocean against her uh, advice. Um... And he was swimming, and the riptide caught him, carried him out, and she was literally standing on the beach watching him drown, and there was nothing she could do. That's terrifying. Um, you, I don't know if you ever remember like learning about what riptides are yeah. in school or on like TV somewhere, but this shit is fucking terrifying. That's why I don't get in the fucking ocean. It is. Yeah, it's not cool. Like, I don't go in like, I go in like up to my knees. I mean, I know a riptide can still fuck you up even from like that level, but I will go in up to my knees, but... I think there was a Disney movie that had that in it. Was it like Johnny Tsunami or something? And it was like, I don't know, something like that. And I just remember being like, yep, nope, never doing that again. Yeah. Yeah, no. I don't fully understand Riptides, but I know there's something to be afraid of. So I fucking, I don't fuck with them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, it's some kind of magic that pulls your ass out. It pulls you out into the ocean and drowns you, yes. Yeah, yeah. Not into it. Um, But I thought that that was... I I struggle to even like make this point because I don't want to be like trivial about this horrible moment of tragedy. But if you consider like the names of the books in the Electra Brown series, Life at the Shallow End, Out of My Depth, Swimming Against the Tide, Taking the Plunge, Falling Hook, Line and Sinker, like they all have to do with like water. water. Which, and those those were written in 2008, 2009. The first two were written in 2008. The second two were written in 2009. And the last one was written in 2010. And he drowned in February of 2011. Shit. Yeah. It's totally superfluous to the case, but I thought that it was an interesting point to mention that it was an interesting synchronicity that all the books that she wrote that made her famous had to do with water. And then her husband died in a water related incident. Yeah. Shortly after John's death in June 2011, Helen launched the Planet Grief blog to create a space to give herself and others struggling from grief a place to process their emotions and receive support from a community that understood the messy process of grief. In her first book that was written for adults, When Bad Things Happen in Good Bikinis, Helen Helen set out her journey through grief after her husband's death. The Guardian described the book as Helen's, quote, painful and companionable account of coming to terms with life without her husband, end quote. So Helen became somewhat of a figurehead for the topic of grief after this. She appeared on television to talk about the grieving process. Most notably, she appeared on BBC Radio 4's Women's Hour to discuss her experiences with grief in October 2015. So this kind of, this person who started out as a you know, teen writer, a preteen young adult fiction writer Mm -hmm. experiences this absolute tragedy and then has this, instead of like being crippled and broken by that event, she experiences this amazing metamorphosis and becomes this person who now is talking to adults about processing grief and how how to move past basically the end of your world. Right, or something right. that feels like it's the end of your world. Um, the 15-year marriage and a 22-year relationship. Yeah. Um, and kind of 
reinventing yourself or, you know, moving forward, not, not denying that tragedy, but, but moving forward with that now being woven into the fabric of who you are, of your story. Right. I mean, I think that's the thing about like growth is that growth doesn't always come from like positivity. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. So like sometimes really bad things happen and it's up to you on how you grow from that. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I think that the fact that she was able to, um, you know, take her pain, take her tragedy and use that to help other people grow and overcome their tragedy um, is really, really admirable. Yeah. That was the cool thing about Helen when I was researching the stories that you hear, you know, reading about her young adulthood, like her own young adulthood. It doesn't necessarily, I mean, she didn't have like a, from everything that I read, she didn't have a bad upbringing. Like she was Mm. in a, you know, relatively, I mean, not that there isn't a normal metric, but she was from a a reasonably middle-class family. She, they did okay. She was treated well. Um, but she didn't have that connectivity with her peers. Like she wasn't very connected. She was kind of like on the outskirts and writing about it instead Mm -hmm. of engaging in it. And to see somebody who, who started life in that place of disconnectedness, eventually get to a place where she, is creating a space for connection mm-hmm. and she's facilitating and fostering that connection is, is an incredible, an incredible sort of sort of journey, I guess of her reinventing herself and her kind of, it, it's just really cool to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, but while uh, when bad things happen in good bikinis, which was written in 2015, by the way, that book is based on her work with Planet Grief. So she started the Planet Grief blog uh, in June after her husband passed away in February. And then years later in 2015, she wrote the book When Bad Things Happen in Good Bikinis, which, by the way, is an incredible title. Also water oriented still. Well, it's because um, the day that her husband drowned, she was when she remember how I mentioned that she mm-hmm. was on the beach and saw it happen. She was yeah. wearing a bikini. Yeah. So the the title "When Bad Things Happen in Good Bikinis" is actually true to life. She was she was in a bikini when that happened. Yeah. Um, and it's just such a cool. I don't know. I I think it's a really cool title. Um, because it brings a, a little bit of levity to a really really dark situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it kind of brings that that humor, that irony in. Um, and bad things do happen in good bikinis. Sometimes you're having a good ass day and then fucking out of nowhere, tragedy just sideswipes you and you're like, well, fuck, I guess I have to change my entire fucking life now. Uh, I've never worn a bikini, but I'm sure that it would be a tragedy if I ever did wear one. That would be the tragedy. (laughs) It would be the tragedy. (laughs) Definitely. So while, uh, that book, When Bad Things Happen in Good Bikinis, did focus primarily on the death of Helen's husband, John, and her grieving process following his death, it also mentioned her subsequent relationship, which began in October of 2011 with widower Ian Stewart. Helen met Stewart on an online bereavement forum. I don't believe it was her own. I don't believe it was Planet Grief. I think it was another, another forum before she did her own thing. Um, and the two hit it off with Helen later referring to Stuart as, quote, her gorgeous gray-haired widower, end quote. And isn't that what, what we're all, like, looking for? Is a, a gorgeous gray-haired widower? I would add one adjective there, and it would be uh, rich, gorgeous, gray-haired widower. Uh-huh. Uh, Just saying. Email me at thehauntedartpodcast at gmail.com. Sure. Mysterious. (laughs) Or hit that Patreon. (laughs) Yeah. Or hit the, yeah. All the gorgeous gray-haired widowers out there. Yeah. Put some coin on that dresser for both of us. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, honestly. We got everything you could like. (laughs) Yeah. We got it all here, folks. (laughs) No, we don't. Unfortunately, it would appear that the hand of fate was not done weaving tragedy into the fabric of Helen's life. Five years later, Helen and Ian Stewart had moved to Royston, a quaint town, or what I imagine is a fucking quaint town. Is that just because it's could be in the full UK? of fucking steel mills? I don't know. <laughs> What's it called? Royston. 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 Uh. Which I imagine to be a quaint town. I'm probably wrong. Just a two-hour drive from London. Okay. Um, 
It was in April of 2016 that Helen was reported missing from her home by her partner, Ian Stewart. She was last seen out walking her dog, Boris, on April 11th. According to Ian, Helen had left a note saying she was going to stay at the family's holiday home in Broadstairs. But the subsequent investigation into Helen's disappearance later established that Helen had never been to the house in Broadstairs. Helen's brother and mother described her disappearance as very out of character, and the police described it as, quote, perplexing. For over a month, authorities investigated the disappearance of the famous author until, on July 11th, police reported that they had arrested a 55-year-old Royston man and questioned him on suspicion of murder and disposing of a body. The man was initially released on bail. Four days later evidence was found that would cast significant doubt on the Royston man's involvement with the crime. On July 15th, police reported that human remains, along with those of Helen's dog, had been found in a hidden second septic tank at her house in Royston. These human remains were later confirmed by police to be those of Helen Bailey. Helen's partner, Ian Stewart, was charged on July 16th with her murder, as well as the crime of perverting the course of justice and preventing a lawful burial. Stewart was held in custody and appeared at St. Albans Crown Court on July 19th. On October 12th, he pleaded not guilty, and his trial was set for January 2017. So, all right, let me get a few things straight, because I'm kind of a little... So, why was he he charged? Uh, Because they found... So, they found Helen's body... They had initially arrested this dude who was like 55 and he just fucking lived in Royston. I don't know what his bag was, but he was just chilling, doing his Royston thing, wearing his Royston shoes, driving his Royston car. Just being a Royston fella. Being a Royston man about town. Yeah, okay. Potentially a silver fox because he was 55. And they arrested him initially on like rand- like like slight suspicions that maybe, I, I think some people had described Helen out walking her dog and they saw it her talking to a man who maybe looked like this man. Mm-hmm. It was very like uh grasping for straws. Yeah. Okay. Um and so they had arrested him initially, but then the next day they arrested him initially and then he was released on bail. And then the next day they found or sorry, four days later they found uh her remains and her dog's remains in a hidden second septic tank on her own property. So that she he was, was living yeah, that Ian Stewart was living at with that her. That they were living in together. Yeah, it was their okay. problem. They had been together at that point. So this I, is 2015, so they had been together. Um, or sorry, 2016, so they had been together for five years because oh. they got together in 2011. Because I was thinking that she had been found at her this other home. No. That she wasn't. No, no, no. This so, Royston home. So Ian Stewart said that she had, Ian Stewart reported her missing. And then said that she had left a note initially saying she went to their vacation home, Mm. which is the home in Broadstairs. But later, as they were investigating, they didn't find any evidence of Helen ever having been there. Mm. Okay. Um, So that was kind of like a red herring, if you will. Um, And or a fucking excuse, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Not so much a red herring, but she had never actually been to the vacation home. And then it turns out that she had never actually even left her home. Because she was in the septic tank. Shit. In the second hidden one. Yeah. So um, so they said, to hell with this 55-year-old Royston man. You can you can walk free. You can walk the streets of Royston Did they free. say that or were they just like, piss off? <laughs> Probably they were like, piss off. Um, <laughs> so they let him go and then they arrested Ian Stewart, um, who pled not guilty. So at trial... Stewart apparently decided to try his own hand at fiction. He alleged that Helen and her dog, Boris, had... I don't know why. I just think that's a really cool dog's Listen, name. Listen, I'm about to get really mad because don't you lie on Boris. <laughs> Boris is Do not lie truthful. on Boris. Boris, Boris had nothing to do with this. an icon, honestly. In my mind, he's like a fucking boxer. See, I got like border collie vibes. I have absolutely no... Interesting. Subs- like, I had absolutely no basis for this, but... I got like border collie. He just sounds real sturdy to me, like Boris. Boris. He's probably like a teeny tiny miniature pug. <laughs> Little Chihuahua. Rest in Fucking peace, Boris. Terrier. We love you. Um, so Stewart 
like I said, apparently decided to try his own hand at fiction. He alleged that Helen and Boris had been kidnapped on April 11th, 2016 by two men called Nick and Joe. Listen, first, let's just get this straight. How how are you going to say that after you've done already said, well, she left a note saying she was going somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then you going, you going, um, you know, get all up in this mix and say something else. Like, mm-hmm. no, don't. Who is Nick and Joe? Well, he Are you said, trying to blame the, the Jonas Brothers? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like Nick and Joe Jonas. What's the other one? What's his name? It's Kevin. not Paul. Kevin. Kevin. Where was Kevin? Where was where Was, was Kevin? he driving? Where was Kevin? Oh, okay. You know what? He was home alone. That's where he was. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not very smart to be changing, switching up your story like that. But Ian said that the reason that he had switched up his story and not initially told police about the fact that Helen had been abducted by the Jonas Brothers was to keep her safe. Keep to keep, keep Helen safe. Keep her safe. Yeah, he said that uh, Helen's kidnappers had demanded a ransom of five hundred thousand pounds, and he also said that he had spoken to Helen for the last time through a mobile phone belonging to one of the two men on April fifteenth. He really is trying it, huh? He really is he doing really it. He really is landing on he thick, He really huh? is. I want to be the person, the cop sitting there um, listening to that, just looking at him like, uh-huh, mm-hmm. yeah, keep it on. What, mm-hmm. what else you got? Yeah, so obviously it would seem that Mr. Stewart lacked the imagination and flair for storytelling that our girl Helen had possessed. Because while Helen's imagination and creativity knew no bounds, Stewart, it appeared had to base his characters more on real life, if you will. In court, the prosecution presented Stewart and the jury with the two men whom Stewart had allegedly based the descriptions of the kidnappers on. Nick Cook, who was Stewart's next-door neighbor, and Joe Chapullo, who he knew from his former home in Bassingbourne. Bassingbourne? Bassingbourne. Listen, don't Joe Chapulo sounds like a cool dude. Joe Chapulo sounds like he's gonna take care of you. He sounds like does he, does he's he, gonna provide you with fresh meat. I was just about for to dinner. say that. He sounds like he runs a deli. A hundred percent. He runs a deli. He's gonna slice you up some mm-hmm. meat mm-hmm. when you want. He's it. gonna make sure you got this salami. He's gonna make sure I you got this is. ribeye. He's gonna make sure you got this. Hell, he'll even order you some he, honey roasted turkey lunch meat if you smile at him. He's real gonna nice. make sure you get that ninety three seven. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. You gonna get this USDA certified lean? Not U.S. though. <laughs> <laughs> UK? Hey, don't slam, don't slam our is Italian there, Americans. Is it UKDA? UK, UKDA? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Do they not have that? I don't know. They, I think they just like don't allow non-meat, so they don't need an investigating committee. You sure? On, like all the bullshit. Yeah. Mm. UK meat be good. I told you about how Scotland was literally like Scotland told McDonald's they found out that McDonald's was like importing beef from elsewhere and they were literally like we are fucking Scotland you will use our beef (laughs) and McDonald's was like but prices and Scotland was like you will use our beef or you will get the fuck out of this area. I love that. And then McDonald's was like, we'll use your beef. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right. Well, your beef it is then, Scotland. Hell yeah, man. Fucking McDonald's in Scotland was banging. Fucking, they don't care about shit over here in the fucking U.S. No, they feed us like fucking sewage. (laughs) It's fine. Um, yeah, so basically this dude is like, uh, she was kidnapped by these two guys, Nick and Joe, and then the prosecutors were like, oh, Nick and Joe, uh, Nick, your fucking next door neighbor, and Joe, this fucking dude who you knew at this former place where you lived. And Stewart admitted to knowing both men, because basically, how could he fucking deny it? Right. But he denied that they matched the descriptions of the kidnappers, which he had given to the police, saying, quote, they don't compare at all, end quote. And the jury was, uh, by the way, unconvinced. So he was just trying to like, so he gave the police this description. Yes. They brought in these two people that they <laughs> yes. thought matched that description. Yes. They were like, and oh, then he was like, you mean these people that have the exact same fucking names that you're giving us and the exact same fucking physical description that you gave us? And he's like, no, not them. He's like, yeah, I know them, but it wasn't them. It was some other Nick and Joe. Mm-hmm. Some other Nick and Joe. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So the prosecution then laid out their version 
of events. They allege that Stewart had secretly drugged Helen with Zoplaclone sleeping pills for several months before suffocating her and disposing of her body in the septic tank at the house where they lived together. It was subsequently alleged that Helen may have actually still been alive when she was dumped in the cesspit. Hmm. Helen's mother, Eileen Bailey, testified at trial that Helen had been concerned that she was sleeping excessively in the days leading up to her disappearance. Sure enough, the prosecution was able to present evidence of traces of anti-insomnia medication, i.e. sleeping pills, found in Helen's body at the time of her death. The prosecution claimed that Stewart had inadvertently connected Helen's mobile phone to the Wi-Fi router in the couple's holiday home in Kent when he visited it the day after he reported her missing. So a day after he reported her missing, he connected her phone to their Wi-Fi router in Kent. Okay. The prosecutor, Stuart Trimmer, called this very significant. Why would he do that? I guess to maybe, because he had told them, like he told them that they went, that she went to their vacation home in Broadstairs. So why are you connecting her phone to a router in Kent? Unless he's just using her fucking phone. I don't know. Sounds like it. Sounds like he just doesn't really know what he's he's doing. And he's just Mm -hmm. dumb as fuck. And that's what happened. Yep. So the jury was later told by Helen's brother that during his only visit to her home in Royston, she had joked about the cesspit in the garage being, quote, a good place to hide a body, end quote, and that the remark had been made in full earshot of Ian Stewart. Mm. Now, when the question of motive arose, there was plenty of evidence to be found. Stewart had twice attempted to use his power of attorney to sell a flat owned by Helen. One of these attempts was actually made on the afternoon of the very day on which Helen went missing. Stewart had reportedly told the solicitor dealing with the sale that Helen was too unwell to attend the meeting in person. And the suspicions didn't end there. On the day that Helen mysteriously and suddenly vanished, Stewart increased a standing order to transfer money from Helen's bank account to their joint account on a monthly basis from 400 pounds to 4,000 pounds per month. Furthermore, Stewart- Wait, were they married? No, they never got married. So my Helen never is, married him. So my question is, how are you able to just go and do things like this? Like, I just I feel think like- he- I think he had a power of attorney because they said he was using the power of attorney to try to sell this flat. Uh, And if you have the power of attorney, then you're able to make banking transactions as well. Because I'm like, how does someone just show up and be like, hey, I'm here to like do this like major fucking thing. They're they're not well. So I'm just going to stand in. Normally you can't. But yeah, if he had power of attorney. But if he had power of attorney, he could, which usually is recommended for couples who aren't married, because if you're not married, you don't have any fucking rights. But um you have very little rights, I guess I should say. Um, but if your fucking partner is a fucking psychopathic murderer, then probably don't get married? a POA. I wondered. I don't think Helen, we'll get into it a little bit in the discussion, but, mm. okay. but I don't think so. Um, so, yeah, so he was, and if you want motive, uh, he furthermore was the primary beneficiary of Helen's 3.4 million pound estate. And also stood to inherit her very large life insurance policy. Fuck. So. All that aside, it was most likely the recording of Ian Stewart's phone call to the police to report Helen missing that dealt the most chilling blow in this case. When asked to describe Helen, the supposed love of his life, Stewart could not recall the color of her eyes. What the fuck? He also had to look up both her mobile phone number and her date of birth, and he was unable to give the address of their holiday home in Kent when prompted for it. Well, the phone number thing I get. I don't know nobody's fucking phone numbers now, but the eyes and then the, what did you say, her birth date? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Couldn't even tell him the color of her eyes. You talking about a sociopath. Yeah. Shit, son. And they, because they had been together for how long? Like, like five years. Five they had years. met in October, almost 
So they met in October of 2011, and this was April of 2016. So in October, it would have been five years. Yeah. Yeah. So in his closing statement, Prosecutor Stuart Trimmer told the jury that Stuart's version of events was, quote, quite absurd. (laughs) And that the accused had, quote, grossly deceived Helen Bailey, stating that, quote, it is perfectly plain that she was completely overwhelmed by what some people might call love bombing. It's a matter of common sense and knowledge that someone shortly bereaved might not have had the logical equipment to see she was being deceived, Mm. end quote. And love bombing, if you don't, it's kind of a, um, it's kind of, it's kind of a term to describe sort of relationships like this. But love bombing is where like somebody is just so into you and they're like projecting that they're so into you and they're just like wanting to spend all this time with you and wanting like sort of kind of trying to isolate you, but more just like overloading your senses with so much projection of love and care for you but obviously in this case we can see that that doesn't necessarily mean that it's genuine because he didn't even know like what fucking color her eyes were right right so um on february 22nd 2017 the jury found stewart guilty of helen bailey's murder at st albans crown court the following day judge andrew bright sentenced stewart to life imprisonment with a minimum term of 34 years, meaning that Stewart will be 90 years old the first time he becomes eligible for parole. But the story doesn't end there. Fuck, okay. Is there a twist? Remember what Helen called Stewart when she first met him? Her gorgeous, gray-haired widower? Yeah. Following Stewart's conviction, the police began to re-examine the death of his first wife, Diane Stewart, who died at her home in Bassingburn, Cambridgeshire. Damn it, they got me. Cambridgeshire. On June 25th, 2010, at age 47. On August 21st, 2018, Stewart was rearrested and questioned on suspicion of murdering Mrs. Stewart. The detective who led the murder inquiry, he was really impressed with Stewart. He called him a, quote, greedy, wicked narcissist. (laughs) (laughs) That's a read. Throughout the course of this new investigation, neighbors related stories of times when Stewart revealed sudden volcanic rages. Members of his former bowls club recalled how he was obsessed with money and extremely stingy. Apparently, he would account for every single penny that he spent or that he owed. And sometimes he would cause a scene at matches when he was asked to pay for a cup of tea, as he argued that it should have been covered in his club membership fee. And he would refuse to chip in a few pounds for unforeseen repairs to the equipment for the same reason that the membership fee should cover it. And he refused to participate in whip rounds for colleagues' birthdays. As far as I can tell, the investigation into Diane's death is still in process, as it was just reopened on August 21st of 2018. Um, This guy just sounds like he just doesn't pass the vibe check, man. No. (laughs) No. You so damn stingy. Yeah. You don't. mm Mm-mm. Yeah. And I love our girl, Helen, and beauty is honestly in the eye of the beholder. But if you Google this motherfucker, gorgeous is not the word that comes to mind, baby. I'm sorry. You got well, hurt. <laughs> who, mm. But he but he ain't gorgeous. No. <laughs> Honey, sis. I'm sorry, baby. Was he gray haired? He was definitely gray haired. The hair that was left was gray. Ooh. For Ooh. sure. See, this is what I love. Like, when you can actually just, like, you can really, really just start roasting the <laughs> just motherfuckers roast. here. Because, you know, you always, like, try to be respectful in cases. But when it comes to this mother- these motherfuckers, like, you- it's balls to yeah. the wall. You yeah. fucking roast these motherfucker pieces yeah. of shit. Let me tell you what. Fuck you, first of all. <laughs> sir. You don't pass the vibe check. No. Um. Also, like... I just don't understand. He seems like, you know what he seems like he would be? Uh-huh. He seems like he would be that motherfucker like when you go out to lunch and you just order lunch and normally like normal human adults just split the bill 50-50. 
he seems like he would be the motherfucker that would take the bill and go through and mark each single fucking thing that he got. That's what he seems like he would be like. Honestly, yes. That's what he seems like he would be like. Now, there ain't no place for you to do that except the tapas bar. Because if you go to the fucking tapas bar, you're going to have to take out a second mortgage because that shit is expensive. It is too pricey. Mm -hmm. And you go out with these motherfuckers, and you ain't one of them, but you go out with these motherfuckers that be ordering all this food, and their bill is like $200, and your bill is like $20, then it's acceptable to just be like, sis, I'll give you a 20 Or, yeah, I mean, especially like if you didn't partake in the consumption of said tapas. Yes. Right? Like if you just went to your own thing. But I feel like that that's something that is like should be agreed upon prior. Right. We should talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, hey, like I'm just going to get this for me. (laughs) Y'all deal that. I mean, listen, if you're a good friend, you just let your other friends know that you broke. Like, and they know that too. Like, listen, girl, I'm not trying to do all that. They know. They know. But this bitch is over here trying to assign people's fucking sweet teas to them to make sure that he doesn't accidentally end up covering a two dollar excuse me dollar fifty pound drink a dollar fifty pound is that <laughs> how that works a dollar fifty pound yeah the pound i think the pound is uh but do you say dollar in in the uk yeah no baby you say pound. i know but that's what you just said you said a dollar fifty pound did I really? Yes. Did I fucking say a dollar yes, fifty pound? Did. Oh my god! I love this how she tried to turn bitch, that on me. Like this bitch has no culture. I love how you just try to turn that. On hey, me. um, excuse me. Um, can I get um a twenty dollar pound? A twenty dollar pound. A twenty. Oh a twenty pound note. Would they say no? Do they say no? They would. I think they say no. Yes. A twenty pound note. Look at that. Okay. Ow! Fuck! I just poked myself Ooh. in the eye. With the matchstick that we use to uh, light our invocation. Um, yeah, no, it doesn't pass the vibe check. I don't fuck with people like that. aggressively point at me. Yeah, no, he doesn't seem, he doesn't seem like he would be um And that's weird because if he's that type of person, one. why, like, what, how was she, ad- like, drawn to him? If that's just who he was naturally, you know, like, I'm, like, I just question that. Like, what about yeah. this type of person, you know, was attractive to and i'm just talking about like physically but like to this other person who just seems to be you know so really far great beyond and that. so far yeah. beyond like that. i don't know there's a lot there's a lot that we that it's not possible for us to know right like she seems like she was really dealing with her grief like she was really moving through it and you know certainly not to discount any of that but her husband died in February of 2011 and Ian entered her life in October of 2011 and maybe there were issues that like weren't fully dealt with there and maybe you know the fact that I think this concept of love bombing is really integral to this case because there certainly were from what we're hearing from people who knew Ian Stewart and people who interacted with him there certainly were uh, aspects of their personality that seem as though they would be at odds with Helen mm-hmm. and with her focus on, you know, growth and development and, and emotion and dealing with things, right? There's certain, this volcanic rage that, and that was their word, volcanic. Um, the people who were describing this behavior called it volcanic rage. This, that concept seems very at odds with Helen's concept of kind of even tempered, owning your emotions, you know, moving through grief. Um, but at the same time, I'm sure that it felt good to be adored by this person, at least seemingly, and that it felt good to have this, you know, close relationship with this person and to be building something with them. But I do question why. And girl, I know I understand playing the long game. Like, I got you. I'm not really a huge like I'm not really into the whole like marriage thing myself. I'm fine as long as I got you and you got me and we know we got each other. I don't necessarily need to have the whole ceremony about it. That I'm just not that type of person. So I get not getting married on one level. But then on another level, I'm kind of like, I wonder if the fact that she didn't marry him and had no plans to marry him was somewhat of a tell. Possibly. That she had been married to John and she loved John and John was sort of tragically taken from her. And she didn't feel the need to marry Ian. And I wonder if there was something there that like 
she knew she couldn't all the way trust him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think also um, that when you're talking about love bombing, as mm-hmm. you say, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, there's definitely uh, most likely uh, manipulation at play. Absolutely. When it comes to, to that. And I'm pretty sure that being um, in a, you know, in a state that she was, that she could have possibly been susceptible Absolutely. to that sort of manipulation. Um, and I think that when you get into issues re- regarding relationships and like mental abuse, that, mm-hmm. that um, you know, you can tend to overlook certain things or make excuses for certain things. Yeah. So there's always that possibility, I feel like, uh, as well. And then I think that that could probably tie back to what you were saying with like, like maybe she just didn't quite fully trust him or I mean, we'll never know, but no, we um, don't, we don't know. Cause we can't sit down and talk to Helen about it, but I think that you have something. I think you're onto something there as far as her, as far as that love bombing, having that manipulative sort of goal, right? Like he yeah. was manipulating the relationship and, and from Helen's perspective, I mean, having just gotten like, been forced really out of a marriage with somebody who was the love of your life and you guys were perfectly happy together. And I'm sure that they weren't happy every single day, but they had a real relationship where both people were invested. Mm-hmm. And and then to, to then have that ripped away from you, you're kind of like, well, entering into the next relationship, maybe this is it. And maybe my feelings of not fully being able to trust him stem from my grief rather than from him not being a fucking trustworthy person. Do you know what I'm saying? Because it happens so soon that like, I don't know if she had other like many relationships in between then. I would kind of be hesitant to say that she did because she met him on a grief forum. So I don't think that she was like on fucking Tinder swiping. But like, because he was her first relationship after the death of her husband, who was the love of her life, like, I I can see where you might attribute a lot of your misgivings about the relationship to potentially, to potentially just the circumstances of, well, maybe this is the best that it's going to get. Like, I'm sure that I just don't trust him because he's not John. Yeah. And I'm just upset that I mean, John died. And... You know? Yeah, I mean, or maybe it was just, you know, he was sort of giving her something that she needed, but yeah. knew, you know, if he was love bombing her, like maybe he was just, maybe that's something that she felt was Hell yeah, man. comforting Fucking to her. Attention and feels that, great. And, you know, maybe, I mean, and she seems like a smart girl. Maybe she just knew that, like, that was just right. what the relationship was, yes. right? Uh, could be that way and I'm not trying to say that to like speak ill on on her or say that you know like, like that they were both using each other for certain things but you know it, I mean it is yeah. what it is like yeah I mean we'll never know because we can't speak to Helen about it and ask her um because this motherfucker stole her from the world um I actually really I, I really like I don't know I related to her a lot she just seemed like she was a cool ass bitch. Yeah. And she seemed like she took the horrible things that happened to her and turned it into a way to bring connectivity and healing and like just good vibes to people, but not in a way that was fucking fake. Like, you know, like, like the title of her book, when bad things happen in good bikinis, like it just sounds like a real ass bitch, you know? Yeah. Like she's not sugarcoating anything, but she's also not like sad girl vibes. She's just kind of like, you know, some, and, and that's true. Sometimes bad shit happens to you and good moments of your life. And you're just, you have to figure out how to fucking deal with it. And I don't know. She, she just seemed really, really cool. And I hate that some stingy pissed off asshole <laughs> stole her from us yeah so yeah but anyway and now the case the case on uh on ian stewart's first wife diane stewart from everything that i could see online it's kind of still being investigated i couldn't find one way or another that like i know they had arrested him and questioned him which is interesting because i didn't realize you could be arrested like while you in jail (laughs) 
I mean, I guess you can for another crime, right? You serve in time for the one, but they're going to arrest you for the other. Which shit would that be? They just came in and just fucking handcuffed you while you were in jail. Right. They have to take off your regular jail handcuffs and put on your new handcuffs. I don't know. But, um... They had uh, they had questioned him, and then I ne- I didn't see a follow up of one way or another. Um, but yeah, so we will have to keep you posted on that. Keep you abreast to the situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Final note: uh, fuck them, hate them. I hate them. Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna blow a candle out for you, Ian Shit. Stewart. Ooh. That's some witchy shit. You guys, nah. <laughs> y'all know I don't fuck with that. I Blow put good vibes out only, out. and we just ignore those bad vibes. That is true. Well, they ain't worth our time. Speaking of some good vibes, I do have a review that I wanna. Ooh. I wanna kind of end us with. I thought it would be cute. Okay. So we have a review. I don't know the full title of it, but it says "excellent show." So and it's five stars, baby. Okay. So we love that. We love that, and it we is love from, a five star bitch. Well, it's from. User throw glitter, not shade. Oh my god, I fucking love this I'm human into being. It. I'm into it. And they say, I've been a massive fan of this show since the first time I listened to it. The topics are well researched and interesting. One of the big perks for me, we love a big perk. <laughs> Uh, for me, is that it's very conversational and not someone just reading from a script. I don't know about that. Like that. <laughs> I can read Wikipedia on my own. In addition Listen, to that, bitch, we have to have an outline. We do. We do. In addition to that, the hosts Caitlin and Kenny have become swell interweb friends, and I think they are just the cat's pajamas. Going through the old archive of episodes makes this quarantine easier. Stay spooky, y'all. We love that. You stay spooky. You stay spooky. You can tell they from the Facebook group because they didn't said Caitlin instead of Katie. They didn't ruin my ruin my uh, (laughs) my scam. Also, the fact that they said swell interweb friends. Yeah, it's pretty funny. We love that. Yeah. We love the interwebs. And if you want to connect with us on the interwebs, mm. you can find us on Instagram at the Haunted Heart Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the Haunted Heart. And you can find us up on that Facebook by searching the Haunted Heart Podcast. Now you'll see our page that you can like and give a recommendation. Recommendation on Facebook is kind of like a review. Um, we it, we treat it like a review. If you send us a funny, a particularly funny one, we'll read it on air. Um So if you can recommend us on Facebook, that would be fabulous because it helps us in all the fucking algorithms. I don't know. Social media. I don't understand it. Science. Um, They're looking at us. Yes. Um, And then we also have a Facebook group, which is where a lot of the discussion of new episodes happens. There's a lot of cool people in the group. Um, A lot of people that are way fucking cooler than me and Kenny. Um, But it is a private group to protect your identity and your spooky secrets mm-hmm, because we know y'all be sharing some some weird shit sometimes mm-hmm. and it gets a little weird but that's okay it's fine it's totally fine that's what we're here for we love it and mm-hmm. we love you we like it weird we just don't want your aunt sally to know mm-hmm. what a fucking freak you are so if you want to join the facebook group request to join and either kenny myself or a member of our murder mod squad will approve you Unless you were Ian fucking Stewart, yeah. in which case, I mean, it's listen. It's pretty easy to to pass our vibe check. So hundred percent, hundred percent. You just gotta be. Don't be whatever Ian is. <laughs> don't be that. <laughs> Otherwise, you are gonna get this dollar fifty pound. Dollar fifty pound up against that face. That dollar fifty pound UKDA grade <laughs> uh, boot up your ass. <laughs> yes. Um, so, but definitely do join us on Facebook because it's super fucking cool. And as Kenny mentioned at the top of the episode, um, patreon.com slash the haunted heart is where we are. Check us out. There's a lot of cool bonus content, spooky stories. There's a backlog of shit. If you join the Patreon, you get access to all of it. So you can sit during this quarantine. You can listen to these scary stories by candlelight. You can get freaked out in your fucking home. Some and smut. Then you can get sexy to, in your fucking you can, home, you too. Can get, Shit, you can get sexy or listen, weird. <laughs> listen, we mentioned the quarantine's making people horny, so listen, just fucking get up on that smooky, that smooky smut. Smooky smut. Smooky. That's something else. <laughs> that spooky smut. Yeah. Yes. Get it. Get it. No, that's real. We're not joking. There's there's smut on the Patreon. Uh-huh. Go for it. Go hog wild. Um, 
I think that's Go get spit roasted, it. actually. Oh, if you want to send us any episode topics, if you want to recommend any movies for Netflix and Kill, because you guys know we do Netflix and Kill here, uh, where we review a horror movie that is currently streaming on Netflix for you as a bonus episode that is offered free on the fucking RSS feed. Um, shoot us an email at thehauntedheartpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you just want to say fucking hey. Just say hey, yeah. Yeah. Let me we know. We love that. We love that. Yeah. And I think that's all the socials. Did I do it right? I think you did a great job. You did a fine job, I Madam. I did a fine job. And I'm almost done with my gin and tonic, so it looks like. Well, I think you promised me a gin and tonic, so yes. I think. Time for another round, sis. I think you need to go make me that gin and tonic, woman. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Damn. No, what please a don't note. do that. What a note to that's end not, on. That's not the vibe check. It's not <laughs> past the vibe check, but you know what, guys? Y'all pass our vibe check. We love you. And until next time, you know what you got to do, bitches? Stay And wash them hands.